Welcome to Absolute Destiny, a podcast. I'm Autumn. I'm Chesney. And this is a show where we watch Revolutionary Girl Utena and give our review of it. The difference here is that I am a super fan. I've loved this show and the movie and all of it, like all of the associated media for almost two decades now. Uh, this is Chesney's first time going through all of it. So you get to ride along as she explores this crazy mixed up world this weird wonderful world of utana <laughs> today we are on episode 19 this is song of a fallen kingdom which is all about our girl wakaba this time we finally do have a different fairy tale opening <laughs> yeah I told, like i told you this would happen and now like we're finally getting to the episodes where it's different um this time it is focused on wakaba where it's Wakaba and the prince. And in this, like the, the prince's face is in shadow in this. So like we don't actually see whether this is the same prince that Utena has, even though they're wearing the same thing. Um, but we have this monologue from Wakaba where she's saying that finding this prince is the, the reason she was born. So it turns out our girl Wakaba has someone in her heart who is just as important to her as the prince is to Utena. Mm-hmm. Yes, apparently. <laughs> um, I mean, we just watched the episode, so there is that, like, big stinger at the very end. <laughs> but, at, but at this moment, we still don't yet know who this person she's talking about is <laughs> no and the like castle dream or fantasy sequence that it opens up on was that supposed to be hotori academy or was it just like generic fantasy castle i mean i think that like it's not an accident that the architecture is similar because uh, <laughs> like <laughs> if, if you think about it all of Wakaba's life that we ever find out about revolves around Otori Academy uh, and so like her, the conditions under which she met her prince uh, are also like here at Otori Academy um, I th- I'm a little unclear on the wording of like how she describes the time that she met her prince whether like was she an elementary schooler here at Atori academy or was she somewhere else like it's kind of the same problem that we have with utana where it's clearer in the manga that utana is a transfer student mm-hmm. whereas in the anime it may just be that utana has moved up from the lower grades and is now in like the upper tier of the academy. And like, mm-hmm. that's why she's seeing all of these upperclassmen suddenly. Um, even though like the very opening shot of the show mirrors some of the opening frames of the, the manga where it's talking about her transfer. That's never actually stated here in this show. And so when we start delving into the past of some of the other characters like Wakaba, 
I don't know. Like, it seems like she only exists here. <laughs> even though, like, <laughs> like, even though she, um, even though she's apparently known Utena for a very long time, which kind of puts it in that space of, like, in the show, it seems like Utena was always a student at Otori Academy, just, like, in the lower grades. But, like, I could be convinced otherwise. (laughs) Well, however, Wakaba and Utena meant had to have been after elementary school. Because Wakaba tells us that elementary school was where she met her onion prince. Right. And let's see. Yeah, so she's just very, like... It's a very, like, dramatized, exaggerated performance in the beginning from Wakaba about, like, I prayed for our meeting and waited for so long. I was This is the reason I was born, you know, <laughs> type of thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, even Utena doesn't say that her prince is the reason she was born. She just says that he saved her. <laughs> so it's just funny to see... Right. Um, each person's like exaggerated dramatization of their <laughs> own history and stuff. Yeah, like <sighs> ironically, Wakaba's prince holds a much more central place for her, um, at least like emotionally. Um, yeah, or at least like I would say, in Wakaba's case, it seems like her. Pr- it seems like her prince holds a very central place for her emotionally, but. It doesn't change her behavior the way it does Utena. So I would say, like, for Utena, her experience with the prince is a much more core formative experience for her. For Wakaba, she's just that infatuated that, (laughs) like, in this moment, her emotional life is revolving around the prince, but it hasn't always. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So we cut to the present day. And Wakaba and Utena are uh, having lunch out on like the grassy hill with the tree. Uh, And Utena comments on how good of a mood Wakaba is in. And like, this is very much a conversation like, girl, you just got laid, didn't you? (laughs) (laughs) You are glowing like you. You have that just got some good sex look. (laughs) <laughs> and Wakaba's like no 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 it's just because I get to have lunch with my favorite person Utena which is sweet yeah. and also again the fucking straightest thing in this entire show is like the way that Wakaba openly flirts with Utena without it being sincere <laughs> <laughs> this is like the straightest thing in the show <laughs> well and then like <laughs> Dennis like you're gonna make s- someone a nice wife someday like all these and she's like sure will <laughs> <laughs> I sure will <laughs> oh goodness like even down to uh, Wakaba feeding Utena at one point yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> there are times where in this show <laughs> with these two that I'm just like I I get where people ship these two because <laughs> I see <laughs> I see these connections like where it's both like 
being forced, but not like, <laughs> oh yeah, it's just See, so there. Yeah. So like with Wakaba, here's my evidence for Wakaba being straight. If Wakaba wasn't straight as an arrow, like <laughs> if she wasn't, um, if Wakaba wasn't straight as an arrow, we wouldn't have a show. Because she and Utena would just get together and that would be that. Like, they're so perfect for one another in that way that, like, if Wakaba was down for that, we wouldn't have a plot. They'd just go be gay and happy together. <laughs> yeah. That's my evidence Seriously. for Wakaba being straight is, like, none of this ever means anything between these two. Right. It's all just jokes. Like, Wakaba, truly. Yeah, like, on Wakaba's <laughs> side. It's yes. definitely all just jokes. <laughs> yeah. And you have to be that straight for those jokes to be actually meaningless. Yeah. Because there would be a lot more awkward tension there if there was, like, any substance to that. Like, we would have an episode where the two of them, like, almost fuck. Like, that's... <laughs> That's how that works. Like when, when you're a teenager and your sexuality is in question and one of your friends is flirting with you without even realizing it, like it's super awkward and uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> because like one of you is like, yeah, no, let's do this. And the other is like, wait, <laughs> hold on. I was just kidding. <laughs> it's like, fuck you. Get out of my house. <laughs> Yeah, so this is truly a friendship that only these two could have. Right. As I'm definitely telling on myself a little bit in that last segment. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> so eventually, the Onion Prince arrives. Um, his mm -hmm. name is Kazumi Tatsuya. And he shows up with a confession letter for Utena. And... Wakaba intercepts it and is like, hold on. Kazumi Tatsuya, I know this name. Mm -hmm. And she puzzles it out. This is her onion prince from when she was a kid. And we get the rose borders here. So many. And like Wakaba has her own like brown roses. Mm -hmm. Kind of a weird color for roses, but she does. Like they acknowledge that like she doesn't have protagonist hair like everyone else does. <laughs> <laughs> but she does get this moment to shine where like the roses reflect her emotional state um, and her like centrality to the, the idea of love and the prince. Um, and then her counterpart, Tatsuya, uh, he has like these off white roses they're not mm -hmm. quite the white roses of the prince. They're just mm -hmm. off-white. Almost like an onion color of white. <laughs> <laughs> like a white or white or yellow onion, like that shade of white. <laughs> yeah. Like once you cut into an onion, like that color. Um. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because we get the brown roses, the brown rose border the off-white rose border and then Utena's signature pink rose border 
and then white again. Uh, and it just like, I was like, are we going to get it through the whole episode? Because it just, it was like, bang, bang, bang. And then just <laughs> went on for a while. <laughs> yeah. And I think that like it's a really beautiful moment too of like this entire episode of actually getting time to spend with with Wakava on her emotional reality. Yeah. Yeah, it was nice. Um <laughs> It was nice. Uh it, this episode felt distinctly different from the rest of the show from Utena's episodes and arc and Nanami's episodes and her different uh, things that she has going on. Like that all feels like one cohesive, like that is telling a story, even with like the wild <laughs> Nanami episodes of like, here come the elephants and she's turning into a cow. Like <laughs> that all feels like one separate thing. Wakaba's episode here really felt like, this was like a, it, it could have been like a standalone anime. And the only reason why it didn't, <laughs> why it didn't feel completely like a standalone anime is because of our ending, which we will get to. Yeah. So I do want to talk about like an interesting parallel here to, mm -hmm. of all things, Sailor Moon. Okay. Uh, so Sailor Moon very famously has her friend Naru who gets completely forgotten about after the first plot arc. But in that first plot arc, she ends up having a romantic relationship with one of the villains, Nephrite. Yep. And I gotta say, th like, one of the things that that show did really well and I can't talk about the manga because I didn't actually read the Sailor Moon manga, but the show, at least one of the things that that show did really well, at least in that first arc was as Sailor Moon becomes a superhero, they actually don't forget about Naru. Mm -hmm. um, she actually remains a character for the first like 40 or 60 episodes or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and then eventually she just gets dropped as soon as i think uh i think sailor venus comes along yeah i think so. i could be like a little wrong on the timeline there but like it's like once the whole gang is together they go off into like that the the time jumping and all that stuff and naru is just like totally forgotten about <laughs> um but like in this show, Wakaba fills that same role of being like the the best friend of the protagonist who has who is not an initiate of like the magical world that the protagonist also has a foot in. You know, so like Wakaba isn't uh, a student council member. You know, uh, Wakaba isn't a duelist or at least she isn't a duelist yet yeah <laughs> i mean it's the it's the black rose saga so like all bets are off on like who becomes a duelist mm -hmm. but like 
she fills that role of being the one who's like not initiated in the the magical world that the the protagonist occupies. And so it it's just an interesting parallel to me especially between like those two shows because we know like Ikuhara worked on both of them. He didn't I don't think he worked on the segment of the show that dealt with Naru, but like mm-hmm. Wakaba is very much that same character. And I'm going to say the person that Wakaba ends up being with is very much closer to like cut from the same cloth as Nephrite as opposed to this guy. Down to the hair, I would even say. Yeah, yeah, no, like (laughs) they have the same hair, the same smirk, the same facial structure even. Um, mm-hmm. The only difference is the hair color. Like if Nephrite's hair was a different color, they could swap places and you wouldn't notice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And for both instances, you know, Naru when she was around and Wakaba for so far that we've seen in this show, um, like you said, it's just a source of grounding for the protagonist, like grounding to reality outside of the magic realism for sure yeah like like with sailor it's moon so every time she, yeah like with sailor moon every time she goes to the arcade you know it's grounding her in the present day of like actual tokyo mm-hmm. um and like eventually the arcade gets attacked and you know like that becomes yeah. a whole thing but yeah, um, it's it's good to have these grounding characters where the relationship to the protagonist isn't necessarily one of like either romance or exploitation or uh, antagonism, you know, like that kind of thing where this is actually a fairly uncomplicated friendship between these two. As much as I mm-hmm. joke about the the like awkward tension of the the way Wakaba jokes with Utena, it's still a very safe relationship in a way that yeah. a lot of the others on the show aren't. Yeah. Like even her friendships with the student council members is a bit fraught because like they're all potential rivals also. Like as mm-hmm. much as they're friends, they're also rivals. There is none of that with Wakaba. Right. And so now like getting this moment to see Wakaba have her own independent emotional reality is so crucial to developing her character as someone other than just Utena's best friend. Right. And that's where the parallel that I wanted to draw with Naru came in is that like once we see her romance with Nephrite, that's when we finally get to see the side character is a character unto herself and not simply an attachment to Usagi. Yeah. So that's my like long tangent about that. <laughs> <laughs> But we have plenty of this show to talk about, too. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, after the opening sequence, Wakaba and Utena are talking about the letter 
And Walker was like, oh, I can just give it back to him on your behalf. And Lieutenant's like, uh, that's kind of like rude. Like that's, that's not really my style to like not do something in person. Uh, and Walker was like trying to talk this dude down. And it's like, uh, it's just like a pretty smooth talker. He's always chasing after girls, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and Lieutenant's like, mm, yeah, I don't know. He didn't really seem like the type and Wakaba just like stops where Utena can't see her face and is like no he's cruel yeah he's cruel yeah because like she says that he transferred away to a different school without telling her Mm -hmm. and so like here's where I'm gonna get personal for a moment um my very first partner ever did this to me I okay I I need to back that up. <laughs> okay. Uh, her parents did this. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. Like she had no volition in this. Um, no, like her parents moved to Ohio and things ended, but like we had been together for like nine months at this point. Mm-hmm. And it just like ended one day out of the blue because of this. And like, yeah, no, that, that hurts if it's never happened to you i am happy for you because like that fucking sucks and i get why wakaba like still has this scar yeah because she clung to him so tightly it shows us in the flashback uh here after this that um you know elementary school kids bullied her called her an onion because of her hairstyle and she latched on to him called him her onion prince and called on him to like protect her um and he it kind of seems like he was um how do i put this unaware (laughs) and it was just kind of like pulled into the situation um yeah when it first happened (laughs) Which kids do this, you know, they just latch on to somebody. Yeah. And the other person is like, huh? Wait, what? Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. And I love the, like, the way this was shot where it keeps backing away, but like it letterboxes it. Like it puts the, the, the black matte border around it instead of like zooming out. It just like seems like it's getting farther away. And in a sense, like this memory has been boxed and framed and is now like this unchangeable part of her with none of the context that exists around this memory. There's just mm-hmm. this one crystallized moment that she has captured and it is playing on repeat in her mind, but only this like three seconds of time. Yeah. And like all we of don't this, see. yeah, all of this meaning is loaded onto three seconds of memory. Yeah, because we don't see any of the other kids. We don't see a classroom. It's literally just them in shadow in their like little elementary school uniforms. That's it. Yeah. And so Utena is like, I don't know, maybe fate had a hand in this. 
And Walkabout immediately shuts it down. She's like, that can't be it. But as soon as she says this, the street lamp flickers and turns on. Mm-hmm. Which, this is kind of a running theme in the show of, like, a background element like this. Like, a few episodes back, we had a bell that rang every time, like, the conversation with Mickey uh, turned on something that, like, he wasn't saying clearly. Yeah. Um, stuff like that, where, like, we get these these symbols in the background that signal us that this character is not either not being genuine or is deceiving themselves in some way. And it's like the environment knows the truth and yeah. is, is like flagging our attention for, to this like, hey, wait, hold on, back up. <laughs> <laughs> I like to think of it almost like uh, the characters themselves, like tempting fate around them as if fate is this living entity (laughs) yeah like uh they're like oh no that'll never happen and then the street light turns on behind them (laughs) Mm -hmm. and of course like we know a lot about atori academy is being manipulated by people they're like it may not be fate itself but a power like fate is at work here someone is pulling a lot of the strings that are bringing these people into each other's lives. Mm-hmm. Um, we see that with the end of the world in the first arc. We're seeing that with Mikage in this arc. Um, and even a little bit with, I think, the end of the world because of the yeah. tension between the end of the world and Mikage. Like there yeah. are now competing forces at work to like, manipulate the lives of these students so that there's even more forces pulling at these people um so it may not be fate but it's not not (laughs) yeah but it is some kind of living entity that's paying attention (laughs) yeah and the next day sure enough onion prince shows up uh to walk of his class and they you know, go somewhere else on campus and she gives him the letter back and basically relays the message. I'm surprised Utena let her do this, but maybe she was like, well, I'm kind of seeing something here. I, you know, if these two know each other, I want to have them play it out. However, between the two of them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Wakaba gives him the letter back and it's like, yeah, you're just not Utena's type. Which, fair. <laughs> He's not. <laughs> um, and then they have this conversation um, where he's like, hey, why'd you bring all that stuff up yesterday about like an, a pumpkin prince or something? And she gets offended and her feelings hurt. And it's like, it's an onion prince, dummy. <laughs> uh, and like, and says that, that was something special, an important memory for her. Like basically saying like, Hey, don't tarnish that. Like you don't get to make fun of that. Right. Yeah. And like in, in a little while, Utena is going to say that like in another scene coming up, Utena is going to say that they're not being honest with one another. 
But this is a moment of genuine vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Like, if I was a couples counselor and had a couple in the room and one of them finally admitted this to the other one, like, mm-hmm. I would count this as progress. Like, being able to say, no, this is important to me. It might not be important to you, but this is important to me and that hurt. Yeah. Um, that actually is, I, I feel like, a, a very vulnerable moment and a very sincere moment between these two, such that it no longer feels weird or out of place that these feelings are real. Like, it doesn't feel childish anymore. No, it doesn't. And, I mean, to add emphasis to that, when she is that vulnerable and open about it, he, like, blushes in response. Like, he gets a little, like, I don't know. He just gets, like, a little embarrassed about it himself or self-conscious or I don't know. Oh, yeah. And, like, I mean, just imagine the wherewithal that it takes for a middle schooler to be able to be that emotionally honest with somebody. Yeah. Holy cow. Wakaba is something special (laughs) (laughs) in this moment, you know, with this kind of clarity and emotional vulnerability. Yeah. Like either she just hasn't had that experience yet of learning to not be this honest with people, or she's going to be awesome when she grows up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, What kind of takes me aback is that even though he blushes and they have this, you know, raw moment with each other, he still asked her to introduce him to Utena again. Like, you made it weird last time. Can you introduce us again? Like, dude, come on. (laughs) Bold choice. (laughs) And she agrees. Which yeah. took me back even more. I mean, why do you think she agreed? Um, well, initially I thought it was to like, it's like a, okay, push my own feelings down, set them aside and like kind of get to spend time with him, get to spend a little bit more time with him type of thing. Or it's like a childish reaction of like, well, I, what are you, crazy? I don't like him. <laughs> that kind of thing. Okay. I, can, I mean, I can see it either way. But it's also because she has like a special like protective memory with him. So it's like, okay, I'll do this for you. And then we cut to the student council who also, of course, is talking about uh their special you know memory of their person that they can't let go of uh mickey is has a picture of anthe in his book still which i think is just creepy at this point (laughs) (laughs) i mean like we've moved we've all moved pats past this collectively mickey it's time for you to do so too like Thought you grew up, thought you grew past this. You really need to just let that picture just kind of float over the balcony's edge. Um, I, okay, but- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge that a little bit because 
One of the things that the entire student council is based around is the dueling game, which is about winning Anthe. <laughs> yeah, he, I just feel like he takes it to like a little bit of a creepy level <laughs> that just doesn't need to be there. Oh, like okay. he's worked. I'll put it he's this worked way. Through his whole I don't thing. think. <laughs> I'll put it this way. I don't think he deserves like a special call out for this. <laughs> respectfully disagree (laughs) because they all have have this with someone to some degree because like yeah yeah yeah. that's why they're there because the rest of this conversation (laughs) is about how they're all the same (laughs) (laughs) right but that's why i'm like mickey i thought we were past this bro like (laughs) like the other two we we've been known that they are obsessed with their person. Like Nanami is obsessed with her brother. Jury cannot get over um, Shiori. Mickey though, I, I thought your whole thing was like, your person was your twin sister and y'all were working through that. So I thought you were good, but whatever. Okay. Turns out, no. <laughs> I, I will say like having an obsession with Anthe is far healthier than an obsession with his twin sister. Yeah. Uh, yeah like like if we're gonna rank these things (laughs) mickey i just thought you were better than this and this is a call out post specifically for you (laughs) Uh, well but yeah yeah nanami tries to to shame him for it and (laughs) he cuts right back with you know i envy you nanami your needs are met by an elementary schooler (laughs) yeah the shade of that like i know oh man i needed a minute (laughs) to recover (laughs) that one was harsh (laughs) yeah this has gone from the student council to the shade council because that's all that they did this episode and their meeting together (laughs) and um And then, like, Nanami starts fawning over her brother again. And they're like, oh, I guess, like, everyone else is just, all the other men in the world are just bottom feeders to you, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, blatantly, yes. Obviously, yes. (laughs) I mean, what did he call it in that, like, third episode, Parsley? Uh (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so Jury decides she's going to, she deans to interrupt this and is like, you know, it would be so much easier if you could just change who you liked. And they look at her and she's like, okay, yeah, no, that, that's fair. I I wish I could too. (laughs) (laughs) She immediately realizes how deep of shit she just stepped in and is like, nope, nope, I take it back. We're good. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, she she kind of laughs at herself and is like, yeah, so would I. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so in what has become a recurring theme, uh, Utena seeks out the guidance of Akio. Um, and like, as uncomfortable as these scenes are, a lot of that discomfort comes from the fact that Utena 
definitely doesn't know what's actually going on. And she thinks that he is a trustworthy adult still. Yeah. And I'll, I'll be honest, like, if you're a viewer who actually doesn't catch the subtext of what happened between Akio and Anthe, like, if that is an experience that is so outside of your your world, I mean, blessings to you. Um, <laughs> like, like, if that moment was just completely transparent to you and you, it just passes right through and you didn't catch it, then yes, like, in these moments, Akio still seems like a reliable mentor figure. But like anyone who catches the subtext understands that while it would be, while it would normally be a very good thing to have an adult mentor figure for handling some of these like weird, uncomfortable unclear rites of passage in adolescence in this we have quite possibly the worst mentor figure and his advice always resonates with Utana in a way that like I think should make you uncomfortable Mm -hmm. because his cynicism infects everything he says. And so, um, on the one hand, like it is very good to have an adult figure who can be honest with a teenager about like the way the world is, because that teenager has a matter of like months or years before having to deal with these problems as an adult. And, you know, adolescence is that time for moving past the child explanations for things and moving into like, okay, this is how the world actually works. And, you know, you don't always get what you want. You don't always know the feelings of other people the way that you think you do. But whenever Akio says these things, it is so colored by his cynicism about what has happened between him, Anthe, and the prince, and whatever that situation is, that like everything he says, even when he's telling the truth or saying something true, even when he's saying something true, it should still be taken like with a grain of salt. Yeah, he's a real, like, <laughs> he's a real Jafar character of this show, to be honest. <laughs> Where it's like, everything he says has, like, double and triple meanings. And, like, like you said, even when he is being honest, it still comes off as slimy and yeah, cynical. Because, like, his honesty is always still in service of, like, his own needs and his own yeah. desires. Um, like, yeah, like, I think Jafar is a perfect comparison because if you look at if you look at Disney's Aladdin from an adult perspective at no point is Jafar un- until like the third act at no point is Jafar like overtly wrong mm-hmm. 
He's just kind of a buzzkill. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, when you're running a country, I'm going to be honest, I want buzzkills running my country. <laughs> as, an, as an adult, I want certified buzzkills running the place because, like, I want it to work. I, I don't need a sultan who is just like blowing money on dumb shit. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, I, yeah, like yeah. there is that that aspect of it. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, the third act makes it clear that even the parts that Jafar was right about, he was deploying in service of his own selfish desires. Yeah. Um, which is like the twist that makes him a villain and not like the actually just misunderstood straight man of the group, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> um, Cause like if he wasn't the villain, he would have gotten the lamp and been like, Oh cool. Now I can just like make the kingdom be prosperous. You know, like that would have been yeah. like the, the, twist ending if he wasn't a villain but he was just like with Akio the smarminess of it comes from the fact that like he's always telling something he's always saying something honest and he's always sharing like his honest perspective but it's always incomplete in that his motives are always concealed right yeah, because even the the line that he says to Utena that stood out to me the most was, people seldom understand the princes that other people keep in their hearts. Which, of course, resonates with Utena. Because who else but her would understand the prince that she encountered so long ago? Right. And that, like, explaining to her... You know, you can't understand Wakaba the same way that Wakaba can't understand you. Yeah. And that is just a fundamental disconnect that all humans have. We cannot perfectly share experiences with one another. And so we're always interpreting what other people do and feel through our own lenses. But he's not a therapist saying this. He's a sexual predator saying this. Right. <laughs> and so it just man hits with different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, a sexual predator, a man of many motives. Um, we've talked before about how he's probably poisoned his father-in-law. So just like not a good guy all around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and so... Ugh, and then the worst line. Where he says, I'm a bit jealous when I see young people in love. As if he's not in his 20s, his early 20s. Right, like... <laughs> it's disgusting. <laughs> it hits me the same way, like, I hear 20-year-olds talk about feeling old. It's like, fuck off. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, he's like, I'm a bit jealous when I see young people in love and then goes, I hope you find your prince soon, Anthe. Disgusting. Oh, leave. Yeah. Get out of here. <laughs> yeah, no, that is. 
that is like <laughs> that is a, a Akio is like a a layer of oil just sitting on top of your cereal. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. It's like, just awful. Like there's the stuff you want, but you can't avoid getting dirty to get to it. <laughs> Every time Akio speaks, I, I'm just that meme that's, you need to leave. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I want to back up to um, that moment of like envying young people in love. Mm-hmm. Where like, so he says this and this is a moment where I think he's telling on himself a little bit. Mm. Because the situation with time in Otori Academy has always been a little fuzzy. Um, and so we are really don't have a good, we really don't have a good sense of like how long this situation with the prince and him has, has gone on. And like, yeah, that's a good point. And so, like, this is a moment where, like, you know, he seems way more worldly than a, you know, 20-year-old. Which is, like, impressionistically, kind of how a 20-year-old feels to a 14-year-old. Yeah. You know, like, it, it fits if you're thinking about, like, how this person looks to you when you are significantly younger. So then we get to this moment that Utena has decided um, that she's going to, like, help mediate this whole situation. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And, like, sort through everyone's feelings for them. Um, Kind of play matchmaker. Which, like, good luck. You know, as a kid, (laughs) good luck. I think Wakaba says, just humor the guy and play it by ear, like yeah. trying to encourage Utena to like, just give it a chance. And Utena just so- sees right through it and is like, <laughs> okay, I'm willing to do someone a favor. Just looking straight at Wakaba the whole time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, um, yeah. So Tatsu shows up and, you know, is being introduced around the group, including to Anthe. And uh, this is a, a funny moment to me where he's introduced to Anthe and then to Choo Choo. And then Choo Choo just openly swoons over the sky. Yeah. Uh, Choo Choo's tail forms into a heart. Uh, Choo Choo is wearing a skirt that he's holding down like uh, Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, like Choo Choo's having like a full Marilyn Monroe moment here. <laughs> and I want to revisit the idea that I think you had brought up a, a while back that Choo Choo represents Anthe's sublimated feelings. <laughs> hmm. And how that reflects in this situation. Yeah, because when 
they do their introductions in uh Kazumi is introduced to Anthe. She's just very like I don't know, her normal mask of a self, like just very polite but doesn't really give you a whole lot. And then Choo Choo gives you this, <laughs> which I right. quite honestly did not know what to make of. <laughs> I mean, to me, to me, given the way that you had described Choo Choo before as like the outlet for Anthe's feelings, is this the first guy that we're seeing Anthe like actually be attracted to? I think so. Because like, it seems like Anthony's got the hots for this guy. Yeah. Weird. Yeah, I think it is be. the first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it is the first. Because, like, we know that her heart does, like, the little flutter thing for Utena. Like, we've seen some of that stuff before. But never, like, Anthony going full horny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Like, Choo Choo's reaction is posting horny on main. Like, <laughs> like there is zero subtlety here. <laughs> yeah, if Wakaba even goes, oh my god, are you hitting on the monkey now? Like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> Which, by the way, it's on something else that I, uh, no pun intended, that I, um, brought up which was does choo-choo exist for everybody else this answers it yes yes he does wakaba and uh kazumi which kazumi is just meeting this group and sees choo-choo so that's interesting and brings another element of magical realism so this next bit is very wordy uh, like a lot of the rest of this episode is like the the back half of this episode is a lot of dialogue and not much action. So like bear with us a little bit on this <laughs> because the conversation actually kind of matters as far as like what to make of it. So Tatsuya jumps right into asking if Utena is dating anybody like zero subtlety, zero chill and uh, Utena like tries to explain like her complicated situation <laughs> of like, yeah, no, I'm not dating anybody, but like there is this prince. Um, it's weird. Don't worry about it. <laughs> We're here to talk about you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know the the scene closes out with like the rose borders for Wakaba and for um for Tatsuya. And with all of what plays out, Utena points out, like, you have a princess right here. Mm -hmm. And just kind of sits back and lets the sparks fly, like, sips her tea <laughs> while grinning yes! and just, like, watches <laughs> this just melt down. Um, and so uh, eventually, you know, Utena's like, look, she acts tough, but she hasn't forgotten the thing you did for her back in the day. 
Like, it may not seem important to you, but like, it is actually an important thing for her. And he admits, actually, I've known ever since I transferred here. Um, but what I, he says, what I noticed is that she's happiest when she's with you. So if I thought, so I thought if I were close to you, meaning Utana, um, then, you know, dot, 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 I could be close to her. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he admits like he thought that she was making fun of him by calling him the onion prince back then. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause like he didn't realize why she was doing this. And so Utena is finally like, look, I can keep playing matchmaker, but really you are the one who needs to tell her how you feel. Mm-hmm. And that's when we get our shadow girls moment. <laughs> yep. With this one. Well, first of all, <laughs> Anthea and Utena are talking about the encounter and the whole, the way things went down and the relationship between uh, Wakaba and uh, Kazumi. And Anthony just goes, well, romance either happens or it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> She's so matter of fact about it. And uh, Utena's like, yeah, I mean, you're right, but. Uh... <laughs> and um, she opens the locker, her locker that we usually get, you know, the scene whenever Utena's going to duel someone. She opens her locker to a note from Wakaba just sticking out her tongue at her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like we're expecting a dual note, like a, a dual challenge, but we know that like there's been no setup unless like Wakaba walked off so angry that she's going to duel Utena. Right. <laughs> Which I was like, what? And no, it was just like a gag from Wakaba <laughs> being yeah. like, meh. So like, but we keep that visual parallel with all the other episodes which is going to be important because like we have a scene coming up that will also parallel other episodes with a twist, but yeah. So continue. Yeah. So then we get our shadow girl scene uh, of our shadow girl selling tires. And it's like, yeah, you can make a real career out of this. (laughs) Well, first she goes through like Uh, the different kinds of stores and what they sell. Like mm -hmm. what's a fish store for? for selling fish what's a bread store for for selling bread what's a tire store for for selling tires now this setup on a gut level hits me as like i feel like there's a pun that we're not getting because of the localization Mm. so if there is one like please write into us and like clue us in on what that is um like is there a pun between like uh fish bread and tires like are like the kanji similar or something like something like that i don't know yeah so you know the idea is for the thing you want go to the correct store to get it Hmm. and the ending of the shadow girl scene is um purchasing the tires from the tire shop and the tire shop <laughs> salesperson going great 
make a nice dish for your husband to eat out of these. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which at the time I didn't get, but I think set up the ending of this perfectly. With like kind of a bait and switch. Yeah. I mean, there's that, I think. And also like, there's this whole theme with this entire episode of, you know, we have this person who just came back into her life and kind of on the one hand expects to reoccupy that, that old role, but also is in this case, a substitute for what she really wants. Mm -hmm. And so like the theme here is like, um, like there's a moment in this where one of the, where the shadow girl says, you know, you can't tell the quality of something just by looking at it. And so Mm -hmm. we have like a double meaning here of first we have like Tasia, this onion prince who at first is pretty standoffish about like what happened back in the day. But then like, once he comes to understand what that really meant for Wakaba, his feelings shift dramatically. He's Mm -hmm. like, yeah, no, um, I actually really do like this girl. And then we have the same message about our twist ending of maybe there's another side to this other person that we're not seeing. Mm-hmm. Because if Tatsuya, like, actually, I'm going to ask this. Um, do you think Tatsuya or the twist ending person is the tire in this scenario when what you want is the fish? <laughs> I feel like it's Tatsuya being okay. the, like, um, being the fill in for what you really want. And I think the next, the next scene for me illuminated that yeah so Tatsuya does take Utena's advice and goes to Wakaba to uh, like confess to her everything and the entire scene plays out like like it plays the pronoun game of who each of them is referring to by the word prince mm-hmm. because he's clearly referring to himself as her prince and at first, as they're conversing about, like, you know, um, I finally realized that I love my prince. Maybe I can find happiness. Um, and, you know, if you feel this way, clearly your prince feels this way also. So, you know, maybe there's something to work with there. And only for it to come down to... Um, Yes, I I am sure I can find happiness. I'm sure you can too. And it, <laughs> and like this is the moment where it becomes obvious that she's been talking about someone else this entire time. Yeah. And by the way, the the way that they play up this scene with like the sexy saxophone music in the background and this brilliant sunset that plays like all these beautiful colors on the two of them. Like it's perfectly setting it up for what's supposed to be a perfect romantic moment between the two of them. And then Wakaba just rips the rug out from under him. (laughs) Yep. The music cuts, just a a record scratch cut. 
and yep. you hear glass shatter in the distance. <laughs> like, so, <laughs> like it calls back to um, the ballroom episode. It, it was either the ballroom or um, uh, the Toga's birthday party. One of those that was taking place in the ballroom where everything comes to a halt and you hear a glass smash. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's like this 14 episode callback. Uh, but yeah. Um, and he's just like left standing there like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and here's where things got really interesting for me for this episode. So Wakaba runs off to go to her prince, whoever that is. And we follow Kazumi going to the Black Rose house, the Memorial Hall. And like on a meta level here, if you're paying attention to the runtime, we are a little too close to the end to have an actual duel. Yeah. I was like, God, this is cutting it close. <laughs> like this, this feels like a two-parter setup at this point still. Mm-hmm. And he says something that clues us as the audience in. He says, I've heard that when things go wrong, you can come here and be counseled. So already rumors about this place are spreading because initially it started as like, oh, well, this is where Makage's seminars are being held at this prestigious society, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you need so an invitation. Yes. So now it's permeating even further to, oh, when things go wrong, you could come here. Like, this is how much they're trying to scout out uh, for these Black Rose duelists to take on uh, Utena well, and the Rose how, Bride. Well, you know how rumors spread in schools also where like, you know, something was going wrong for a character. So they came here and now it's, you know, that's just the thing you do like, Oh shit hit the fan, go here and get, get help. And mm -hmm. like, he's even going down the hall and he's saying like, Hey, look, I know I don't have an appointment. Can you see me anyway? Yeah. Which yeah. And says a lot about his condition and the situation he's in that like, he wasn't even on um he wasn't even on like Mikage and Mamiya's radar yeah. as somebody to like convert into a duelist. He just like showed up like, oh hey, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> he just showed up real desperate, the poor guy. Uh and the hallway is even more ominous than usual. Um he goes into what I call the confessional elevator. Um and what's interesting is while I'm watching the scene unfold where he's making his confession, um, the butterfly is staying the same. Yeah. It There's no revert. change. It doesn't no. revert. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, okay, this is weird. And he's like, again, very obviously desperate and ends his monologue with just yelling, why am I no good? Like, why am I no not good enough for Wakaba? And Makage flings open the door and is basically wait, like... Wait, wait, wait. Before we get ahead. to Mikage, there is a moment that I want to talk about in like his confession. Sure. Where he's like, 
she's so innocent and he'll do this or that to her oh god and no matter how tarnished you are i'll take you back it's like whoa buddy that is some paternalistic shit (laughs) you need to settle down (laughs) yeah that's some real virginity culture her purity culture bullshit (laughs) yeah i like how my mind just like blinked over that completely because i was (laughs) when i was watching the episode i was like oh god Uh, my brain had already just like scrubbed it out of my memory but yeah so mikage Uh, shows up yeah he sure does uh and he's basically like get out (laughs) yeah Uh, but he says like the path you must take does not leave here you have to leave yeah no and that was the craziest thing yeah he says you are a truly good person that's why the path you seek isn't here leave yeah this is no place for you. Wild. We got our first rejection from the Black Rose uh, Society. Yeah. Yeah. It, which, this is something I hinted at at the end of last episode about like the twist of this one. This moment right here where Mikage says, you're actually too good of a person for this. Retroactively changes how we view all the characters who have come before. Yeah. Because, like, his feelings are definitely still just as intense. But they aren't motivated quite the same way as, say, um, Kozue's. Like, Kozue's objective was to hurt her brother in order to reconnect mm-hmm. with him. Um, Tatsuya has no desire to hurt anybody in this. He's actually willing to endure pain. Sexist as it is, like, sexist as his view is, um, it's still a matter of, like, what he's willing to suffer through on her behalf. And that's just like a self-sacrifice is a feeling is an emotion that Mikage just has no truck with. Like he cannot do anything <laughs> with this. He's like, I I can't, I can't work with, with self-sacrifice self-pity. Yes. But there's still a bit too much self-sacrifice in this for me. I can't work with you. I can't do this. You need to go. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, you, you, the onion prince have too much protagonist energy here. You, you need to leave. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Which again, like, uh, makes us look back at um, Kanae, Kozue, and Suabuki and look at them and say, like, wow, you actually had a bit more darkness to you than maybe we acknowledged yeah. before. Like, like, there is a threshold you have to go beneath in order to be you know, dark enough to to be a Black Rose duelist in the first place. And this guy isn't it. Like, he doesn't cut it. He isn't bad enough. <laughs> <laughs> Wild. So then we get our big reveal, yep. which is Wakaba running off to her prince she flings open the door, which is to either her dorm or his, 
you know, dorm room. And it's freaking Sionji, y'all. I let out the biggest what the fuck. <laughs> oh, I posted on Twitter about it. Um, I, I have a picture. I have a picture of my notepad uh, on Twitter right now. Um, when you're listening to this, it's going to be like three weeks back or something. But like, um, I might share it again when I post this episode. But yeah. <laughs> I just, out of, I was not expecting that. I thought, because of the way that this episode had set up in the beginning, her relationship with Utena, and then they, like, pushed the two, the Onion Prince and Wakaba together so hard, I was like, okay, well, the next relationship that they push together so hard is, uh, or joke about, is Utena and Wakaba. So I was like, oh my god, is she gonna run off to Utena and, like, confess to her i i didn't think this was gonna happen but uh, who knows i certainly did not expect to see sionji i thought his ass was grass i thought he was gone for good from the school (laughs) did not expect to see him oh yeah and for sure if wakaba was gay we'd have had another reveal like the jury one where she shows up and she's confessing to utana this right. is again where I say, as much as people ship them, Wakaba ain't gay. I'm sorry. <laughs> she's just not. She's no, like because a, you have a like point. A, she's like a one on the Kinsey scale or whatever, or a six. <laughs> like whichever one is the most straight. Um. <laughs> <laughs> no, because you have a point. Because if she were gay, she would have run to Utena. And she didn't. Yeah. She ran to that piece of shit instead. God dang it. Which, by the way, the didn't we start? Pussy wants. Um. I guess so. <laughs> didn't we? Didn't we start this whole series with Sionji openly making fun of Wakaba? Yes. Why in the fuck did she go back to him? How did this even happen? We'll find out in the next episode. But just like, what the hell, girl? He mocked you in front of your peers openly. Wakaba's a different breed than I am. I'm too petty and revengeful for this shit. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, that's our, um, that's our big reveal. And our preview for next time is Utena basically going, damn girl, you're in such a good mood. What's going on? (laughs) Cause she's getting it. Yeah. A hundred percent. Weird as that is. <laughs> Seriously. And then we do get a glimpse of Wakaba in like an olive green type outfit that looks like she's on the duelist platform. So um, going to be interesting to see that unfold. And the episode is titled Wakaba's Flourishing. Is she though? Is she? <laughs> We'll see. I'll be the judge of that. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know if flourishing is quite the word I'd use for this. <laughs> no, she is she is having sex, so I mean <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but not flourishing. So what is your prediction for next time? 
I mean, their friendship is going to be tested. I'm really curious to see what Utena's reaction to the two of them being together is going to be. Or for just Sionji being back, period. Because he made such a quiet re-entrance into school. Like, he's not at the student council. They haven't seen him in, in their classes. And he's just suddenly shown up. So, I'm going to point out, like, we see him in this preview. We see him in a bedroom. Which may not, in fact, be on campus. Okay, okay. She's getting that off-campus dick. (laughs) 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 Oh, my God. No, but my prediction... We all had that friend who had (laughs) a boyfriend in college, and we were all like, girl, are you okay? (laughs) (laughs) So, prediction for next time is just... Oh, it's not even a prediction. I just, having seen friendships of my own and others fall apart because of conflicts like this, like I I have a feeling that it's not going to fall apart between Wakaba and Utena, especially because like, if it's a Black Rose duel, Utena would know like she's not in her right mind, blah, blah, blah. But it's just that discomfort of like, oh, I don't like seeing friends fight. I don't like seeing friendships potentially fall apart. Yeah. So I, it's definitely going to be uncomfortable next time. Okay. So where can folks find us online? So you can send in your comments and questions and shared experiences and all that to our Gmail inbox, which is absolute destiny, a podcast at gmail.com. And yes, uh, like if you, auto- if you do know, if you seriously, if you have an answer to that question about like the shadow girl moment, this episode, please write in. I'm super curious. Yeah. Uh, Autumn, did we get any uh, thing to share for this time? Nope. (laughs) Cool. I just wanted to check in before I went on to the next socials. Okay. And then you can also find us at Twitter at Zetai Unmei Pod. Like Autumn said, (laughs) she just posted something on there about (laughs) our notes and uh, our reactions to this episode. So uh, that stays quite active and you can interact with us on there too. And then we both have our own social media. I'm at CarCutie on pretty much everything. I am at Life in Neon. On again, pretty much everything. (laughs) Yeah. Twitter, Twitch, everything. And yes, uh, please write in. We love hearing from you. All right. That's the episode. (laughs) 